Hello everybody, I'm Matt Mikuchi and you are listening to the Jazzy's Podcast. Everybody, Jazz is online editor Matt Mikuchi here, welcoming you to a new episode of our podcast series of conversations with some of the most amazing artists on the jazz and creative music scene today. A series that we simply like to call the Jazz is Podcast, and is brought to you in conjunction with Jazz is Vinyl Club, a series of vinyl compilations carefully curated by the Jazz is editors, and that is an absolute must for lovers of jazz and vinyl alike. The story of Joseph Goodman Levitt, also known simply as Joseph Goodman, is fascinating. It takes us from his upbringing on a South African farm about an hour outside of Johannesburg to present-day Jerusalem, where he currently resides. Having attended the Berklee College of Music in the late 90s and played on the New York jazz scene in the early 2000s, the bassist and composer took a break to make an income. He taught himself to code and started a thriving internet company that he sold in 2018 to return to music full-time. Since then, he has been exploring and showcasing a unique and personal sound that he has developed via new music that he has been releasing. Most recently, his first trio album, Upside Down Mountain, that was released this year. Find out more about the journey and Josef Gutmann Levitt on this latest episode of the Jazz Is Podcast. Fire up an audio teeny and listen to the audio waves as they fly through the air. learned a bit about you and I would love to begin by 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 you know talking about your life a little bit and the first thing that kind of got to me uh, reading about you is that I learned that you were born in South Africa and that you spent much of your early life living on a farm about an hour outside of Johannesburg <laughs> so I mean that's that's pretty cool in itself but uh, what was that like and what were some of the early musical experiences that you had there that you remember fondly? I, my, my parents, I think, decided to move out of the city that was a little bit unusual back then, where, where yeah, I guess their community and their, their, where they grew up was, I don't know, quasi, quasi-urban. Uh, they moved out to a place that was completely unbuilt. We got all our own water from, from, from under the ground and, and there was no there was no infrastructure there originally. In in fact, until I left the farm and well, I was nineteen years old to go to study music at Berkeley, um, all our water came from you know a hundred meters or whatever under the ground. And uh, you, you know we used to you used to have to pump pump the water out of the uh, out of the ground. So it was nice and clean. But uh, you know occasionally when the electricity went off or which actually happened quite often so we 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 also lost lost water because of the electric pump in any case we um 
living on the farm was was interesting it uh, looking back it was a really rich and and lovely experience but uh when i was there i think that i was always yearning for for company for friends for for movement for uh it, it was feeding the horses and the ducks was 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 fun but um it kind of lost its novelty for me after a while uh at some point when i was young around age 7 i played music i played piano a little bit but stopped uh, shortly after that uh, wasn't i was it was i wasn't the time for me i chose to quit <laughs> playing the piano probably at age 7 or 8 and then i moved on from there to skateboarding uh on the farm with nothing to do skateboarding and practicing kick flips and and 360 flips and whatever was uh was appealing to me it was fun it was physical and at the age of about 16 years old i picked up the bass guitar it was something that i could do as well by myself on the farm um practice and practice and practice i think i bought bought my my first bass guitar that really lasted me all the way until pretty much uh berkeley for then it was 400 rand which today is around $25. Do you remember which one it was? It was a black bass guitar that I bought second hand from a guy in a parking lot. <laughs> that was oh. the kind of bass guitar it was. Just a, a a very low low cost instrument. Why the bass? I guess I was afraid of that B string on the guitar. Uh I always wanted to be a guitar player, but I couldn't figure out why one of the strings was tuned in a third. Um It can be a pretty scary string, you're right. <laughs> yeah, it's a, like all of a sudden I I yeah, I understand the intervals, uh, you know, and the strings and then all of a sudden some uh you, you know, yeah, a different interval gets thrown into the mix. I think I chose a bass because I perceived that people needed bass players and there were enough guitar players out there. I enjoy finding the intersection of where I'm needed and what I want. So sometimes when there's a balance and a, a good relationship between the two, I'll uh I'll I'll I'll, I'll opt for what's needed of me over here in this particular situation. I think in life in general, I I I tend to enjoy finding what's my purpose here why am i needed and and seeing if i can reconcile what i want with with why i'm needed and that's why i chose the bass guitar it was an instrument that a lot of people needed like you know it's an accompaniment instrument and and uh to have a lot of good bass players in the world i think is a is a good thing and that's what drew me to the instrument and at that time i started becoming also interested in the the local african music that i had heard and experienced a little bit around the farm area and also at the age of 12 13 i was the only white kid in school i i went to a school that was populated by a lot of people from uh from the area and it, it was a bit of a unusual situation but that's the that that was the experience that i wanted and my parents very generously allowed that for me uh, to go to a school that was really off the beaten track and over there as well uh, it was in a, a big exposure on that farm school area was on a big sort of 500 acre plot of land this just this school with 130 kids and yeah exposed there to african african music and uh when did jazz come into the picture 
So the African music, uh, strangely enough, in South Africa has a lot of jazz, has a lot of jazz foundation, not necessarily the African polyphonic choral music, but African jazz effectively uh, back then was uh, uh, stood out. Um, Quella, jive, and all those sort of offshoots of, of, of swing uh, African music is very pregnant with it. It's very um, comes through a lot. So my natural exploration from there was Weather Report and Herbie Hancock. A little bit of Miles, but more so, I think Weather Report, Wayne Shorter, and then the whole post bop jazz, Bill Evans, and then eventually, uh, you know, moving on from there to more contemporary uh, contemporary movements in jazz. But on the farm, it was me with like one or two weather report albums i think heavy weather and black market and on the farm and back then in south africa it wasn't so easy to acquire cds or music in general so whatever music i had i really exploited to the max uh and in order to develop my actual playing experience i try to associate myself and bond as much as possible with well-known african african musicians uh, in order to become inspired by them and learn learn from them, they also required a little bit of a, a jazz background in order for me to succeed and occasionally sit in with them or be called to play to play gigs in in the areas that they were that they were playing um, with all the <laughs> idiosyncrasies that that kind of brought with um, that was that was the jazz connection to Africa. Does that mean also learning to improvise uh, from an early age then? Yeah, you, improvising from an early age then was a very childish form of improvisation. I think for me until uh, finally a, a particular educator, Hal Crook at Berkeley College of Music, took a hammer and knocked it out of me, which was very much uh, around playing, playing patterns, playing riffs, playing stuff that my fingers would practice and then present to an audience at some point. But yeah, I think jazz and, and a lot of South African music have, especially South African jazz has a very strong um, improvised dimension to it uh, with the South African jazz vocabulary, which is, is quite well defined and um, improvising and expressing were were really key for me. I didn't spend very much time connecting with or identifying with being a being a pocket music player, like you know, really like many other bass players who are just superb uh, and accurate when it comes to playing funk and 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 rock and pop. I didn't succeed at at that level of uh, accuracy in in sort of finding the placement of my notes. So I guess uh, with my naturally buoyant uh, style, I, I found that improvising was really much more of a, an organic expression of myself. Yeah, so uh, returning to your, your life journey, you went to Berkeley, you kind of uh, got involved in the New York scene, but then at some point you also, this was something that I found very interesting, started doing something else. You taught yourself to code and began a thriving internet company. What prompted you to make that decision? You know, New York. So when I got to New York, 
after Berkeley. I moved there with a couple of my colleagues who were at Berkeley with me at the time, who I played with a lot and who I really respected and, 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 and appreciated. Uh, with Lionel Lueke, a really sweet and beautiful guitar player, and um, my my colleague who we produce all the music that, that I make together, um, Gilad Ronin. We were roommates in Berkeley. And we moved to New York. Uh, Gilad succeeded at playing in the wedding band circuit and he was able to make ends meet that way and, and, and Lionel was doing great and he moved on to the Thelonious Monk Institute and I was an electric bass player trying to play jazz so even though there were highlights of my time in New York you know playing with Ben Monder and playing playing with some really special uh, innovative musicians there my actual income was from bussing tables at restaurants five days a week. So I remember when I first moved to New York and the cold, harsh reality of, you know, that the New York jazz scene wasn't waiting for, for Joseph Goodman. I approached a restaurant and I didn't have any experience in Brooklyn. And I asked the restaurant if I could work there for free until they have a position open and I'll come no matter what time. I'll come at 5 a.m. I'll clean the floors. I'll cut the vegetables in the kitchen. I'll do whatever just so that I have a presence there. And when they have a position, it'll open up for me and, and, and I'll move into it. So I said, fine, the owner of the restaurant in, in, in Fort Greene in Brooklyn. And I started working, uh, cleaning the restaurant, cleaning the floors of the restaurant at around 6 a.m., and on a snowy day or on a sunny day, it made no difference. Uh, I slept in and I cleaned the floors and it was, it was a tremendous experience. It was powerful for me and, and really, really special to know that I was, I was working hard and doing my best to succeed, even though it wasn't necessarily in music. But I moved from there into other jobs and started bussing tables at the Blue Ribbon in Soho and you know, making their decent money, working insane hours under crazy conditions, um, all to basically support a weekly gig that I had on Thursday nights at that same restaurant that I originally found a job in, in Fort Greene, Brooklyn. And they gave me a spot there to play on Thursday nights. Uh, and that's where I met Tony Cedras and Bakiti Kumalo and the guys from Paul Simon's um, Graceland album. They had a regular gig at that same restaurant called Madiba. It was a South African restaurant. I figured, you know, since South African culture is common, they'll they'll for sure, um, you know, there'll be a place that I, I might be able to be useful. Finding out again, you know, where where what the world wants of me at any particular point. In any case, I uh, met those guys, and as the busboy, you know, looked up to them a lot, and. I just remember one evening I had the opportunity to sit in. I asked them, uh, one of the other restaurant uh, colleagues said to Bagiti Kumalo that, hey, this, this busboy over here, he's a, he's a bass player. So Bagiti Kumalo said, okay, so come in and sit up, so sit in with us. And I remember that night, um, one thing I'd been practicing for a number of years when I was at Berkeley was the Bach cello suites. So I played um, the first Bach cello suite in G major on Bagiti Kumalo's bass. 
And I got a standing ovation. The restaurant had never seen a busboy playing uh, Bach on a bass. And um, from then on, my relationship with those guys and the Paul Simon band was, was, was sweet and fun. And I even occasionally substituted, not for Paul Simon himself, but you know, for, for Bagiti Kumalo in other contexts when he couldn't make it. And I got a weekly gig there at the restaurant. And I, my, my money that I used to earn as a busboy, what didn't make it to rent and food, I paid musicians, I hired musicians to come play with me, which gave me a, a nice pick of the cream of the crop. And that's how I improved and learned from people like uh, Ben Monder and, and other really strong players at that weekly gig. And eventually, just to scurry us forward, my um, time in New York as a musician and as a busboy abruptly came to an end when I was on the way to a jazz venue with my bass guitar on my back one night on the subway. I was going there to ask them if I could have a gig there. It's very nice playing in a restaurant every Thursday night, but I kind of wanted to upgrade. I wanted to play it like a uh, a jazz club in the in the league of uh, you know smalls or, or 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 the zinc bar or any of the underground and you know insider level jazz venues and I had made an appointment with the owner to discuss with him playing there and I would bring my ensemble which included you know nice players good players and he didn't show up. And I tried to make contact with him again and, you know, said that he would be there in a few minutes and it just never happened. So I ended up waiting there for about two hours and about 2 a.m. in the morning after I was already like realized that it wasn't happening, I wasn't going to end up meeting. I was riding home on the subway and I asked myself, like, why am I doing this? Why am I working and killing myself to play my one jazz gig? And my music is good. It is solid. Uh, you know, I'm not just deluding myself and in denial that the music was simple and enjoyable and warm and, and, and heartfelt. Why am I begging to play for free at these jazz clubs with such quality music with quality players must be something's off over here. So I kind of questioned like, why, why am I doing, why am I doing this? And until I have the answer, I'm going to put my bass guitar down and I'm going to find something else to do with my time. I needed to find meaning. And I needed to find direction and I needed to reset my life. And um, that kind of brought me onto the journey of, of, of traveling a little bit and finding myself and eventually doing commercial music, which was very difficult for me artistically. Um, I did music for the Oprah Winfrey show for about a year. It was a big, big blessing, but it wasn't so, so simple artistically. And um, I met my, my wife, we got married, and I needed to find income. So that's how I started teaching myself programming. <laughs> and that's how it got us to you know, software programming, which I, not just programming, but uh, d design and architecture and CSS and HTML and learning all the ins and outs. But everything very quir in a quirky way without any conventional wisdom, everything remotely and I decided to start a company to help other musicians get gigs to compete with like another product that was on the market at the time, Sonic Bids. I don't know if it's still around. I guess it is. But at that point, I created the company. It didn't go well. I borrowed $10,000. It, it, the company didn't succeed, you know. 
was a really, uh, it was a $10,000 lesson in software development. I tried again. And the, the second time, it was funny, you know, you, you said a thriving, thriving technology company. It didn't start out that way at all. The thriving came, I have no idea how it happened, but bit by bit, I, ha- I got one customer and I, I changed the product from a, like a mu- musician portfolio creator to an email newsletter designer, which used the exact same kind of user interface, but broadened the market significantly. And I got a customer and then another customer and then a month later, another three customers. And then a month after that, 10 and then 20 and then 30. And then until it was 250,000 people using this product and, you know, paying monthly subscription fees. And I was learning a heck of a lot about software and servers and databases and staffing and tax and patents and all sorts of interesting stuff. And that was my journey until, until I joined uh, with, the, with, the, with the business uh, GoDaddy. Uh, who acquired who acquired the company and it was time for me at some point to to go back to to music and at that point i i think that i after that long journey um bought a new bass guitar uh de- designed by um a luthier in new york harvey citron um i love steve swallow so i figured let me try to get a bass guitar like steve swallows and waited a a year and got this beautiful instrument and all of a sudden there's my sound just waiting for me it says if i never left the instrument not only that but like my creativity was free and i wasn't bound by trying to prove that i knew how to play jazz or trying to prove that i knew how to you know swing in on 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 the jazz standard conception or i i was i was free to be myself I didn't need to prove myself. And the moment I didn't need to prove myself or I wasn't desperate for a jazz gig, my music started to come out and I decided to put everything aside in 2018, 19 and just return to my instrument and return to expressing myself through this bass guitar. And here we are today having this conversation and hopefully I've expressed the journey uh, in an adequate way. Yeah, it's a fascinating story. And I understand also you moved to Jerusalem, right? Yeah, uh, I'd actually moved to Jerusalem in the middle of the startup, in the middle of creating my startup, um, Mad Mimi. To me, it was a very dynamic place with a lot of intensity and a lot of people searching for meaning and a lot of meaning in general. And for me, that's what I, I find opens my heart and opens my soul is being surrounded by people who are searching for truth and meaning.
The track you are hearing is from Upside Down Mountain. The album is available now and is the latest album by bassist and composer Josef Gutmann. It also marks his first trio album as a leader. Interestingly, the musician conceived all the pieces for the record in a single sitting, improvising whatever flowed freely from his heart. This is an aspect of his creative approach that we discuss further in the second part of today's Jazzy's podcast. But I also wanted to remind you that if you love jazz and vinyl, you should check out Jazz's Vinyl Club, a new series of vinyl compilations carefully curated by the Jazz's editors and featuring some of the most exciting jazz artists from yesterday and today that we regularly cover in the print version of Jazz's, Jazz's.com, and these Jazz's podcasts. Go to Jazz's.com and click on Join Vinyl Club today. But for now, here's the second part of our conversation with Josef Gutmann. And uh, returning to your your music, so for now, now for a couple of years, you've kind of returned to that full time. You've been releasing records. And I just wanted to ask you about, I guess, your latest one, Upside Down Mountain. But, uh, and, and, uh, what I, what I, uh, find interesting hearing your story is you kind of realize that now this is the sound, this is your sound. You found it, but you're also experimenting with it because, uh, with this album, for example, what I understand is this is your first, uh, trio album. You know, do you find yourself wanting to experiment in ways like that? Just trying to play your music in different contexts and just, you know, trying different things uh, all the time. When when I play music, I, I need other people to bring certain dimensions out of me that 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 are that are new, because uh, to me, the idea of making repeating myself is 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 not tasteful. So what I seek is is special, sensitive players to bring something different, something new out of me. And really what's happening is something new is coming out of all of us because each person brings, uh, brings a special dimension. So really what I've sought in this album, this trio album, is music that is... Uh, recorded live so that there's no um, nobody's hiding behind perfectly manicured overdubs and uh, corrections. We're all in one room together, so our dynamics are 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 driven by how our ears are hearing the music and not by uh, a headphone mix. And my my the, the the newness that comes out really has to do with the moment in time that we're recording. What the what the emotional condition of everybody in the room is on that day in that moment, and it captures a point in time. And while I do have a set like a particular sound, the the album Upside Down Mountains to me represents the first time that I'm really recording. I, I have a I have a duet album that's also recorded live, which is. Um, very gentle and very honest. It's just not with Omri Moore and Ofri Nehemia, two players that are, you know, Ofri 
is a guy that knows how to swing and he's a very, very talented and sensitive jazz drummer. And Omri is also just a very virtuosic pianist with uh, just a gigantic vocabulary of all different styles and genres and, and, and very, very broad and very sensitive. So for me to put myself in that kind of situation brings out of me, um, I, I, it's definitely a feeling of putting myself out there. It's a risk, <laughs> you know, for, like I don't have super fast chops. I don't have crazy, amazing time. What I do have is something to say. And when I play with these guys in this trio album and what makes it unique is the vulnerability that, that, that we were all, we were all experiencing while, you know, playing this music that's very accurate, very delicate, very, very precise, very soft. And yeah, I, I can only imagine that the next album that, um, that will be released. Um, there are a couple of other albums actually coming up. Uh, each one is going to be, uh, ha- have a very different, have a very different energy while, while just retaining a common thread of something that is alive and something that is vulnerable and isn't uh, perfectly manicured, but, you know, as, as musically rich and colorful and as mixed uh, you, you know, mixed as beautifully as possible, etc. Um, so Upside Down Mountain ref- represents to me the first time I think I've put myself at the mercy of two musicians that are just amazing to me and making music together with them without without any, I say uh, in, in Yiddish, shtick. Without any, uh, without any shtick. Without any shtick, yeah. Well, uh, right. But then another aspect that I wanted to talk about regarding this album, another thing that I found out about it is that, you know, talking about uh, having things to say, it's interesting that the tracks on this record, from what I understand, you wrote uh, over the course of one single uh, session, shall we say. It was just... Uh, almost uh, all at once, right? I mean, it was uh, improvising whatever flowed freely from your heart. Uh, Can you tell me a bit more about this process and and what you were kind of trying to communicate? Because what that says uh, to me is that not only do you have something to say, but also a a strong desire to say it. Okay, beautifully. Thank you for saying that. And and I, I like the way you articulated that. My problem with composition is that I judge myself. Whatever I write, when I'm sitting down or I'm trying to sketch out something on a piano or on my bass guitar, I look at the few notes that I write and I say to myself, is this alive or is this dead? Is this good or is this terrible? And while I might think it's good the first time I play it, when I repeat it back to myself, my judgment sets in and starts saying, no, this is not, this is not worthwhile. And I end up not being able to actually move with composition. I can't compose anything. I certainly can't compose a reasonable amount of information um, or music in a time period that I have. I mean, I have no time. I have an hour here, an hour there. I try to wake up at 5 a.m. to practice my instruments a little bit before I have to make school lunches for seven kids. 
you know, the day is, is, is insane packed. You know, I have to still make a living. I have to do all sorts of stuff. I'm not like, uh, you know, sitting on a pink cloud, like with, with, uh, few responsibilities. Like I have a very small amount of time and I can't seem to compose quickly. So I decided, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to sit and I'm going to create music. I'm not going to, formulate any forms or anything like that just now i'm going to create a bunch of melodies i'm going to call my friend gilad and i'm going to ask gilad take these melodies that i that i created and touch them up here and there make give them a form and give them a harmony and that's what gilad did and that is my formula in order to create large amounts of music in a day is uh, hmm. my goal is around to, to create six or seven composed pieces of music in a in a single sitting, uh, which also comes through on my my uh, you know an, um, another upcoming album that is um, that I've been working on uh, currently. Uh, same 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 thing. I found that the music is very alive that way, and I'm able to actually create. Uh, music without um, the self-judgment that sets in with composition. Some experienced composers, of course, are able to compose in a coherent way without too much self-judgment. And that is a gift, a very, very, very big gift. And I think that Gilad has that gift and, and we're able to work together. But yeah, everything on Upside Down Mountain was effectively recorded sitting down on a chair recording it on on uh, you know using the voice notes app on my phone um and then afterwards working on it with gilad packaging it into a proper form uh and and giving it some harmony and when you listen to the record what uh was on your mind when you were kind of coming up with these ideas because there's always maybe stuff things that are kind of up there and that somehow just come out when uh, when the music yeah. is being played and conceived. Do you recognize some of the things that you were thinking about back then? Silly things, you know, they, they, they start off. Uh, it's actually also an insightful question that you asked, an insightful comment that you just made, where I, I, I start off occasionally with, a, with, with, with an idea. Um, for example, I'll start off It'll be early in the morning, and I'll 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 I'll, I'll be listening to the I'll be listening to the silence around me, or I'll, or I'll or I'll think about my life in that moment, and and I'll think about I'll think about my gratitude, and I'll think about well, I'll think about stuff that that I would love to 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 have differently or or or, or improve, and and I'll allow myself to start playing something that to my ears and to my heart sound pleasant. They sound sounded like something that that's me and when i when i catch something that 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 sounds pleasant i won't judge it and i'll i'll, I'll record it and particularly for upside down mountain um i was playing a silly little piece of like a fragment i call them fragments um on my my instrument in the high register and my wife said that sounds nice that sounds pretty and that's gold to me, you know. All of a sudden, this fragment becomes the basis for um, for a piece of music. The second track on the album called "Time with Abba" is that fragment. That's this silly fragment with, you know, two intervals with a 
uh, a, 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 an interval of a second, an interval of a fourth that I, that I just sort of take through a particular chordal uh, harmonic movement and then have very simple notes on top and all of a sudden, you know, that's a composition. Uh, creative things come out of that that I didn't really expect. And then another composition might have been me um, considering one of the narratives from my from my culture, thinking, contemplating the narrative for a few moments, and then just playing the instrument, just letting go of everything and playing the instrument, and 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 hitting record for say I don't know two or three minutes, stopping, checking whether that was the best expression of my thought, if I could express it technically a little bit better i'll hit record again and i'll try to express these thoughts or these little contemplations um, and then i decide on using that material along with uh gilad who i think it's really necessary with this compositional technique to have a good friend uh who can say from as an outsider you know that's pretty drop that leave that take that this can be the beginning and this can be the middle and this can be the end and mixing and matching and kind of playing that game as I, as I create the composition. So um, just to summarize the, 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 the meaning that pro- like dominates in upside down mountain is this feeling of, of, of love and of immense gratitude mixed with, contemplation of a particular narrative of coming into the land of Israel or, 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 you know, in a few, in a few, in a few moments feeling like I really need to spend more time with my kids. (laughs) That's like, that was a very predominant part of the playing and wishing that I would actually make time for them more, etc. It's uh, just real life experiences. Yeah, so so there's uh, several dimensions to it, you know. You know, there's the the, the real life exper- experiences, as you say, and then of course in the title, you know, there are references to your religion and uh, and uh, narratives from your culture, as you mentioned earlier. Yeah. So it, it really like yeah. that's uh, that it condenses <laughs> the the complexity of of our of our thought processes, of our various uh, things that we think about during the course of a few, even a few minutes, a few hours. Yeah. That's really fascinating when I think about it. Right. So you mentioned that there's, uh, well, obviously now, you know, since you have returned to music and uh, you have embraced this new sound of yours, uh, that's wonderful. You continue to record. I understand that you will have more music coming out in the next few months uh, is there something that you'd like to share with us in terms of future projects? And also what I'm usually interested uh, about finding out is if perhaps there's a, a, a special ambition <laughs> that you would like to see fulfilled in the near future. I think that, okay, first of all, there are a couple of um, projects that I'm working on that are exciting. A, um, a duet recording with a wonderful young um, guitarist based in New York, Talia Halom, will uh, that should be uh, coming out around uh, the end of February. 
which um, which we we worked on together. He's a very very gentle player and a very talented guitar player. And another project with this uh, trio, with the uh, addition of a um, a, uh, a wonderful uh, guitar player that will hopefully be in. Um, be out at around uh, June, June or so next year with Lionel uh, Lueke, who, who joined joined this trio to create a quartet. Again, you know, we recorded uh, uh, we recorded live. Actually, we just finished the sessions uh, a couple of days ago, and that's very exciting. It's a, de- a strong development of, um, of of the music. My ambitions are to create something new and in 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 this category of spiritual jazz you know not bound by not bound by uh religion per se but bound by a uh, seeking truth instead of seeking you know the domination of my sound making space instead of cluttering it up with uh, ideas i found that also in 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 my world uh, with my culture, I think that there there's there, there's a lack of expression of it in in jazz and contemporary jazz and and even contemporary classical music. So I I, I feel like I'm needed over there, or I'm I'm I guess I'm deciding that I'm <laughs> needed over there. And my ambitions are to to succeed in 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 allowing my music to be to be to be heard and to be promoted in the appropriate way and and just giving it the the chance that it deserves that's wonderful well uh yusuf it's been a, a amazing chatting with you and thank you very much for joining us cool thank you so much enjoyed our conversation with Joseph Goodman. His latest album, Upside Down Mountain, is available now and I urge you to also keep an eye on his upcoming records and projects. And if you love jazz and vinyl, be sure to also check out our Jazz Is Vinyl Club. Join the club and we will send you four premium limited edition color vinyl albums mailed directly to you. Just go to jazzis.com and click on Join Vinyl Club for more. And as music from Upside Down Mountain by Josef Gutmann plays us out, I encourage you to keep an eye out for more Jazz's podcasting content, our print magazine, and other great content available to you on our regularly updated website, jazzes.com. And if you like what you see, you can always subscribe for more. Till the next time, this is Matt Mikuchi signing off. See you soon. Music